Francis Chan, who we've talked a little bit about him already, uh, he was a pastor down in Southern California in Simi Valley. And he tells this incredible story about this young man that came to faith in Christ in his church. And it was kind of a, one of those radical conversions. This was a guy that was just steeped in the gang culture. But then suddenly he finds Jesus and decides, I want to leave that all behind and I want to follow him. And then he was baptized in Francis Chan's church. But Francis tells this story about how it didn't take too long and suddenly he wasn't showing up anymore. And people were beginning to wonder, uh, what happened to him? So someone in their church reached out to him and here was his response. He said, you know, I think I didn't understand what it meant to become a part of the church. He said, for me, I had this picture in my mind that when I joined the church, it was gonna be like when I was jumped into my gang because when that happened, everyone around me, they became brothers to me. They had my back 24-7. They were always looking out for me. And he said, I just kind of assumed that the picture was when I was baptized into the church, that that was going to be what was going to happen with me here. He said, I didn't realize that this was just a Sunday morning thing. When Francis heard that, he just thought, no, no, not at all. You have it right. We have it wrong. It was heartbreaking to him to hear that the gang culture did a better job of what it looks like to be family than the church of Jesus Christ. It absolutely broke his heart. Because the gang culture and the church of Jesus Christ both talk about family. Now, granted, there's a few differences, you know, on the gang side, the (laughs) drugs and murder and things like that. But both are supposed to experience family. But oftentimes, in the church of Jesus Christ, people don't experience family. They don't have people that are looking out for them, that have their back. They're as committed and connected to people in this room as if they'd just gone to a movie with them and just happened to be in the same movie theater. But that's not what Jesus wants for his followers. He wants us to experience family. And he's put in our hearts a longing for family. We know that that's what we need. In fact, it's part of being made in the image of God. God himself exists as a family, a community. Oftentimes we refer to that community as the Trinity. And he even tries to describe himself in family terms, a father, a son, the Holy Spirit, family. That's what God wants us to experience. And we're in our second week now of this series that we're calling A Movement of Misfits. And what we're going to be doing is we're looking at pictures from the book of Acts that help us understand what is this movement characterized by? What is it that Jesus wants for this movement that he launched 2,000 years ago? And what we're going to read today is that he wants family. Misfits, yes, but family. He wants us to be family. And there's three things that we're going to learn about the family that Jesus wants for us. One is that this is a family that's actually going to point people to God. It's going to be a family that creates a context for us to grow in our faith. And it's a family that is naturally supernatural. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, we see the marks of this misfit family. Verse 42, 
all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together. Listen to this. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, and each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This was a misfit family that actually pointed people to God. Think about this term that we use, family. When we talk about the body of Christ, we talk about family. Now, is this just some kind of cliche? Something that just sounds good to talk about? Or is it what God really wants for us? Because you might be saying to yourself, my family is my family. Like, how can I love and be connected as family to people that I don't even really know that well? And they might not even be the kind of people that I'm naturally drawn to. It seems unnatural to say that we should be family. Friends, that's exactly the point. It is unnatural. In fact, it's supernatural. That's what we learn from the scriptures. It's when the Holy Spirit was poured out that we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit's poured out at Pentecost and indwells the lives of believers that they actually united together in these kind of families and they were marked by supernatural love. Incredible, supernatural love for one another. Because these first followers of Jesus, the leaders of this movement, they had been with Jesus. They watched the life of Jesus. They knew what it looked like to love one another, to serve one another, to have each other's back. And they knew that that's what Jesus wanted them to live. And they heard Jesus say these very words from John 13 when he described what he wanted for them. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. See, before we had been talking about 600 plus commands of the Old Testament that Jews were required to follow. But he says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. One, just keep this on the forefront of your mind. And the commandment is this, simply love each other. How? What does it look like for us to love each other? Jesus says this, just as I have loved you, how you've watched me love you, he says, you should love each other. That's how you're supposed to do it. Why? What's the purpose of this, Jesus? He goes on to explain, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You wanna prove that God is alive, that he's at work, love one another. That kind of family will point people to God. And they didn't lose this idea that Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you because one of the very first things that this community of believers did that we just read about is they celebrated communion together where they would take the bread and they would break it and it would remind them 
of the broken body of Jesus on their behalf. And then they would take the cup and they would drink it and it would remind them of the shed blood of Jesus. So they were always reminded of the magnitude of how Jesus loved them. But as they're breaking the bread, they weren't just looking up, they were looking around. And as they looked around, there were people around there and Jesus saying, just how I did that for you, you do that for one another. That's what I'm asking you to do. That consistent reminder. Are we willing to love each other in that way? Wow. That is a tall order. That we would be willing to lay our life down for other people. Be willing to go to the cross for others. And when people would see that in the lives of these early followers, and if they saw that in our lives, they wouldn't just look at that and shrug and go, meh. I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. They would be amazed. They'd be like, what is going on? And the result would be that it would point to God. It would point to the magnitude of God's love because we, as we experienced his love, we would be able to give it to others. That's what's gonna speak to the world around us. Friends, it's not our buildings. It's not our music. It's not our band. It's not our preaching. It's not our programs. None of that stuff. It's not our strategies. It's not our apologetics. Not that any of those things are bad, but it's not what's gonna move the needle with our culture. Jesus says, it's your love. It's your incredible love for one another. That is the fuel of this movement. But he wants us to know it's not natural. It's supernatural. And that's why he's got to provide that for us through the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can live that with one another. And this love, friends, it's gonna be expressed in a supernatural unity. There's a way that it's gonna tie us together that we couldn't even imagine. And this shouldn't surprise us. This shouldn't surprise us because Jesus, as he went to the end of his life, there's a time in John chapter 17 where it records a prayer that Jesus prayed. So if you're ever wondering what God's will is for you, this is God's will for you because Jesus prayed it for his disciples and he prayed it for us. This is what he wants for you and me. John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Anyone who's here today that has believed in Jesus through the message dominoing over the last 2,000 years, Jesus is praying for you right now. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us so that, so that for the purpose of, this is why the world will believe that you sent me. This unity, this love that we have for one another, it's gonna proclaim to the world who Jesus is, it will point to God. Jesus continues, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. Why? Again, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus prayed for our unity. 
for that we would experience supernatural unity. Unity is hard. Unity in just a nuclear family is hard. Much less a family like this of people that may not even know each other that well. It is supernatural because it requires incredible amounts of service. We've got to be willing to lay our lives down for other people. It takes incredible amounts of forgiveness. If our lives start intersecting with one another, we're gonna need to learn to forgive. We're gonna need to learn to extend grace. We're gonna need to learn to be humble, humble with one another. We need to constantly extend humility and we need to figure out how do I put other people's needs above my own? That's what it means to be family. That's what it means to experience the supernatural unity that Jesus is talking about. And friends, you've got to hear this. It takes time. It doesn't just happen. It takes time and it takes energy. But here's what you've got to see. What Jesus says over and over, it is attractive. It will be so attractive to this world. They won't be able to explain it. They can explain preaching. They can explain music. They can explain programs. They can't explain this. They can't explain a supernatural love for one another. They're gonna look at it and they're gonna say, what is going on with them? And it's gonna point people to Jesus. This unity is attractive. It was so interesting to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you were here, I had a friend of mine, Cody Whittington. He came and preached for us. Just did a fantastic job, blessed us. Cody is a pastor at a church in the north part of Belgrade. And we're just excited about the ministry that he's doing. But this is what was so interesting to me. There were so many people that gave me feedback that just said, we could not believe that you did that. You, you, you let another pastor in this town have your stage, talk about his church, promote his church to them. And there's part of me that, after a lot of people started saying, I'm like, was that dumb? <laughs> what is the deal? No, it's not dumb. It is the unity I believe that God wants for us to experience. Friends, what we want to see happen in our valley is not gonna happen because Journey Church wins and other churches don't win. What's gonna happen is when God's Holy Spirit comes down and is poured out the way he did in the book of Acts, it's gonna transform people in a way that their lives are supernatural and how they relate to one another. And when the tide of the Holy Spirit comes in, all the boats, all the boats in the harbor are gonna rise. Friends, that's what we want. That's what we're longing for. We need to love the other churches in our town that raise the name of Jesus, that point to him. We need to cheer them on. We need to pray for them because what we wanna see happen is not gonna happen just as a result of Journey Church. It just won't. God's presence is attracted to unity. The world is attracted to unity and we need some of that. We need some of that in the world and we need it in the church. And it's supernatural. A second characteristic of this misfit family is that this is God's context. This spiritual family, this misfit family is God's context for your spiritual growth. This is God's plan A to help you grow spiritually. It's the people around you. Look around. 
That may be exciting to you. It may kind of bum you out. I don't know. I mean, this is it. This bald guy up there, this is all we got. That's what God wants to use. He wants to use each other. We need to be connected to each other. There's so many times when I talk with people and they're just not growing spiritually. They're stuck. One of the first questions I want to ask is, how connected are you to people? Because that's God's means for us to grow, is our connection with other people. Here's how the Apostle Paul described it in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says this, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What's Paul saying here? This is not a solo mission. It's not like God grows us by us just standing there, isolated, and he just zaps us and grows us. He said, you grow as you are connected to other people. Other people that are misfits just like you. That's God's plan A for our growth. That's his means for our growth. And it wasn't just for us. It was the same way for the apostle Paul. God used people to help grow him. There was a t- I love this scripture. There was a place in the life of the apostle Paul when he was discouraged. He was depressed. He was ready to throw in the towel. Yes, the apostle Paul got discouraged and depressed, cried out to God. And here's what God did for him. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. When we arrived in Macedonia, Paul says, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. He's in a bad spot. But God, but God who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us how? How did you, did he just zap Paul? No, by the arrival of Titus, he sent a person, people, flesh and blood. This is God's plan A to grow us in our faith. Paul continues, his presence, his presence was a joy But so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. There's other people involved in this for Paul. It's his family. When he told us how much you long to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. What grabbed a hold of Paul and pulled him out of depression and discouragement? People. Family. God wants us to experience family. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You need each other. If we're gonna be what God wants us to be for his kingdom's sake. So interesting to me at the end of our 1130 gathering last week, there was just this beautiful family. I was kind of gathering up my stuff and this beautiful family came over and just began to share about the spiritual battle, the spiritual attack they were under. And she began to unpack it. My heart just bled for them. My heart just ached for them and the things that were going on. And I just said, let's pray. Let's get everyone together and let's just pray spiritual warfare prayers over you and your family. As she was going to grab some of her family to bring them in, just felt this nudge. 
this nudge of the Holy Spirit that said, invite Mary to come over. Mary Lee is one of the people that are at the yellow tables. Amazing woman. I just said, Mary, could you come over and I want us to pray together over this family. And she said, absolutely. So we got them together and we began to pray. Prayed spiritual warfare prayers over them. When we get done praying, Mary looks at the the daughter of this family and she says, while we were praying, I just felt God nudge me and she wanted me to give you my necklace. And as she handed her the necklace, she said, I want you to know I had no idea what we were gonna talk about today. This was one of the interesting things is Mary's necklace was a pendant with a domino. And if you happened to be here last week, I gave everybody a domino. And so it's just kind of this interesting thing. Mary just said, I want you to have my necklace with this domino. And she hands it to her. And this young girl looks at this and she pulled her domino out of her pocket and it was a matching domino. Some of you are trying to figure out what are the odds of that? (laughs) Not good. I looked at that and she just immediately went to tears. God wanted this woman to know This young woman to know, I see you. I know what's going on. I want you to sense that. What did he do? He brought people. Brought a two-bit pastor and a beautiful woman with a necklace to come to her and say, I see you. God wants to use people in our lives. It's not that he's just gonna zap us and encourage us. He wants to use people. We're his plan A for how we grow one another. We've got to see that. And Jesus did the exact same thing. When he came to this earth, when he wanted to help us in the most extreme way that we needed help, he didn't just, he didn't just send us a book and say, read the book and obey the book. He became a person. The word, the living word took on flesh and he dwelt with us so that he could be a person to show us his love, to show us what does it look like to love one another, serve one another, speak truth to one another, bear one another's burdens. He became a person. People are God's plan A. It's his means for growing us up. We need one another. We absolutely need one another. But this misfit family, the last thing, They were naturally supernatural, naturally supernatural. When I read that text to you, that description of how they lived their life together, it said a couple of things. It said they met together every day in the temple and they met from home to home. So it sounded like there was a large group gathering, but there was this smaller group gathering that was more personal. And when we read through the book of Acts, we realize this wasn't just a one-time thing. When we get to Acts chapter five, Luke records it again. He says, they met together in the temple and they met house to house. And then we get all the way toward the end of the book, Acts chapter 20, verse 20, when Paul is now in the game and ministering to people, what did Paul do? He says, I taught you publicly in large groups, but I also went from house to house. There was this temple aspect and this house aspect. And they built these rhythms where they spent time together. They made space for each other. They built rhythms in their life. Here's what happens oftentimes when I ask people about their community. They'll just, this is what they say, I have community. But if I press just a little bit, 
to describe what is your community like? Oftentimes, it's simply this. I know some people that also follow Jesus and every once in a while we hang out. Friends, can I just say that's not what they did. They built a rhythm of meeting together, but there were some specific things that they did, some natural things that they did that allowed the supernatural things of God to invade their family. What does the scripture say that they did? One, they were committed themselves. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to what it was that the apostles were teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the truth of scripture. What does it mean to live this out in our life? They were committed to that together, not just in big group gatherings, but in small group gatherings. They were allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to their hearts and their minds through the word where God would, they would ask God, what are you saying to me? What is it that you want me to do? And it was transforming their life from the inside out. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. And then it just says simply that they were committed to fellowship and communion. And that fellowship idea is that they ate meals together. They simply just got across the table from one another and had a meal. In that culture, that meant something. When you invited someone to your table, it meant I accept you. I want you to be a part of my life. And I think that's very true in our culture as well. We can have acquaintances out there, but it means something very different when we start inviting people into our home across the table from us. It's a level of invitation that's beyond just acquaintance. And they celebrated communion. They broke bread. And we've got to remember again, this first church that celebrated communion, when they broke communion, it was reminding them, this is what God did for you. This is what Jesus did for you. And now this is what you need to do for each other. I mean, for us, we look back, and that was like 2,000 years ago. For them, it was like seven weeks later when Jesus, seven weeks prior that Jesus was hanging on a cross. They could walk back there, maybe even find the blood stains in the ground. It was a reminder to them, that's the extent that we are to love one another. That was part of the rhythm of life together. And they prayed. They prayed for each other. Here's what I believe happens when we pray for each other. We take off the masks. We open up the curtains of our life and we let people in. We become authentic. We pray about the things that are on our heart. We let people know, these are my needs. These are the things that are keeping me up at night. These are the things that have me depressed and full of fear. We start to share those with people so that they can bear those burdens with us. And we can also bear their burdens. They were committed to praying for one another. They were also committed to reaching out. This wasn't a group that was just us four and no more. The scripture says at the very end, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It wasn't, it wasn't just this little group that's just like, I got my group. They were looking out and they were inviting others in because they wanted others to experience this family. Jesus was always inviting others into the family. They saw him do it and they knew that's what we need to do. We need to invite others into the family. And friends, this was their rhythm. This was just their simple rhythm. They got together and they did these things. Very normal things. And it was in that context that the supernatural came down. They were, did very natural things, but it was supernatural. They were naturally supernatural. 
I think about this journey. I think about this a lot. I think about our church. And I just imagine, what is it like to come in here on a weekend? Here's what I would love to be true about. I'm going to pick on these three rows right here. I promise I will not make you say anything because you're big and you could hurt me. (laughs) What would it be like? What would it be like if if these three rows, everybody in this row, what what would it be like if if you just knew everybody's name? I I think it would be a taller, like if I asked, does everybody here know everybody's name in these three rows? Uh, I, I think I would be on safe ground to say that is not true. But what if you knew everybody's name in this group? But more than that, what if you actually knew their needs? What if you actually knew the things that were keeping them up at night? The things that caused them to cry and be afraid when nobody else is around. What if you knew those needs and you were praying for them? And when you saw them, you were able to say, I'm lifting you up. And what if there were very tangible needs in their life? spiritual needs, emotional needs, maybe even physical needs, financial needs, and you would take it upon yourself to meet those needs for each other, what would that feel like to come to this church if that's what was true of this group of people there? And what if you guys had such a connection to one another, such a commitment to one another, you had each other's back, and every one of you knew it, that you were actually able to look outside of your three rows and maybe start to look at some of the other rows and some of the other people that don't have that, and you started to invite them in, what would that be like? What would that be like if that was our church? What if that was the experience of every person here? Everybody knew, I've got a group of 10 to 15 people at least that I belong to. They've got my back. Friends, it would change our church. It would change our valley. Friends, I believe that is the church that Jesus is asking us to be. But you know what? Most people in churches across America don't experience anything like that. And as a result, people are leaving the church in droves. Not because they don't love Jesus. They love Jesus. But they actually feel like the church is getting in the way getting in the way of them experiencing what it is that they believe that God wants them to experience. It's a sad time, friends, when those who want to follow Jesus don't feel like the church is the answer. They've given up on the church. But you know who has not given up on the church? The head of the church, Jesus. He has not given up on his church. And friends, because he is our head, we are not giving up on the church either. But we also know we need to change. It needs to be different for us. We need to do what it takes to become family. I think we do the temple, okay. We do the temple thing that Paul talked about. Large groups together, but that house to house, life to life. People knowing this is what's going on in my world. This is what's really happening. That authenticity of relationship. We've got to grow in that. We can't just be the temple. We've got to learn to grow in the house to house. I want you to hear a story of a friend of mine. Let's watch this video together.
So a couple years ago, God got a hold of my attention through a DUI and has turned my life upside down ever since then. Before that event, alcohol was my refuge. It was what I turned to for my escape. But God has shown me that he is and wants to be my refuge. While my life has certainly gotten better since that point, it has not gotten any easier. There have been moments in my life where I've struggled with loneliness, fear, and doubt. I have had times where I've questioned my purpose and my identity. But I know that God never struggles to continue to be my God. His hands are always reached out to me, inviting me to be a part of the relationship that he wants with me. And that's why Jesus came. A couple weeks after that DOI event, I got invited to be a part of a church community here at Journey. While I was really anxious to step foot in that door for the first time, I am, I am glad I did. I was worried that I would be stepping into a judgmental place, but instead I found a place of warmth, comfort, and safety. These are people that I would truly call my family now. They're people that I can't imagine doing life without. They are people who are always there for me to hear my struggles, my burdens, and to care for me. And I always know that they will love me. Without them, I'm not exactly sure where I would be today. But I know that God has placed me with them graciously because he knew I needed them. And for that, I'm eternally grateful for God and just his recognition of my needs. In the midst of chaos, where I feel like I'm sitting today, they are just sources of strength and rocks and just a solid ground. They're always people I can turn to. Having that community is probably one of the most valuable parts of my life and the one event that I look forward to every week. Again, these are people that have become more than just friends, they've become truly a family. Journey, I wish I could stand up here and just say, you know, at this point, we've got all the communities out there that we can handle. We've got room for everybody. We don't. But here's what we're believing God for, what we're seeing every day, every week. There's more people that God is nudging that are lifting their hand in the air and just saying, I want to be a part of going first, building this kind of community. I want to start to pull people around me. I want to start to see this happen. It's continuing to grow. But Journey, we have a long way to go. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If you sense that maybe God would be nudging you, I want to lead something like that. I want to go first. I want to help create that kind of family for other people here around Journey. I want to know your name. I want to talk to you. It's not a small ask. It's actually a huge ask. I'm not actually asking you to just hang out with a few people now and then. I'm asking you to build life together. It's a big ask. But if you sense that God is nudging you to do that, I want to hear from you. Those cards that are on the chair back in front of you, before you leave, write your name on that or talk to me or talk to someone at the kiosk kiosk out front. I want to know who you are. To close, I want to share a letter. We don't get letters like this all the time, uh, but I wanted to share this with you, and we'll just call the guy that we got this letter from, Jim. 
Here's what Jim said. I'm unsure how to start this letter, so I guess I'll begin with introducing myself. My name is Jim. I'm 26 years old, and I'm writing you to try and reach out to a brother in Christ for help. I'm currently incarcerated in the Montana State Prison. It's located in Deer Lodge, Montana. I'm only here for six to eight months, but I figured I'd reach out now and find a good anchor for me when I get out. I chose to write to you because I live in Bozeman, not but three minutes away from the church, and I drive by it every day. Once I stopped there, because my car broke down, went inside to wait for my girlfriend, and was shocked at how much help was offered by the people there. I have tattoos all over, including my face, and I felt like I was out of place at first. But what I looked like did not seem to bother the people there at all. I've never felt more welcomed into a church ever before. It was really heartwarming. Anyway, I would really like to attend your church when I get out. I'm now a born-again Christian, and we recently, I recently turned my life over to Christ. My knowledge of the Bible is really short, but my heart and faith in God is all the way full. I understand you probably don't get too many letters like this. That's true. But I prayed to God one night, asking him for guidance, and then your church came to mind. I hope that writing you like this is okay. If you'd like to write me back, I'd be more than grateful to give you any more information about myself or anything else. I'd also love any knowledge or guidance you'd love to throw my way. I hope this letter finds you well. Thank you for your time. God bless. With respect always, Jim. I'm guessing six to eight months from now, I hope Jim walks in our door. What's he gonna find? What's Jim gonna find? when he walks in our church. Is he gonna find a church that just says, Jim, your family with us. Scoop him up, invite him into their life, invite him across the table from them. Is that what Jim's gonna find when he gets here? I hope so. Because Jim needs family. But we all need family. I don't care if you're in Montana State Prison or you're in the Yellowstone Club, you need to be a part of God's family. Are we gonna be the kind of church that makes room for people, that makes room for family. I pray that we are. I wanna just ask you to set your things aside and I wanna let the Holy Spirit be the last person to speak to you today. Just ask him, what is my next step? In light of anything that I've heard, Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to do? Jesus, we just wanna humbly bow our knee before you and acknowledge you are our king. We follow you. You are our head. You are the head of this church. And we believe that you were serious about loving one another the way that you loved us and doing it as misfit families. Jesus, we know that we need each other but we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will empower us to love the way that you loved. We can't do it on our own. We know that. Jesus, help us get to where you're calling us to be. We trust you and we love you. And it's in your powerful and risen name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. 
If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.